The other day, Mrs. Podcast and I were on our way home from a little coffee date on our bikes, and we went by a neighbor house, kind of a neighbor house a couple blocks away, and there was a a box that somebody had written free on with a Sharpie, and there were this couple little cabinets. One of them was a little metal cabinet, this little uh, chest with shelves in it, I guess, and then the other one was this little meager looking plywood cabinet it had three drawers on the top it was about a foot by foot by two feet high and it uh, you could see that it had a door on it at some point it had the imprint of a hinge with the door that covered the drawer fronts and the and the open space beneath the three drawers was missing it was coming apart it had been in some weather it was just a made out of fur plywood tacked together with these little box nails i mean it was not it was it was obviously i think um a shop project from high school and pretty poorly executed the the drawer poles were just holes drilled in the front of the drawers which is a is is something that i've used before it's kind of nice when you're going to close a drawer in front of them because they don't they don't protrude any but they were drilled off center by about i don't know half the width of the hole I could see that there was a pencil line there. I could see that that uh, that as a shop project, this thing was all laid out on a sheet of quarter-inch fir plywood and then cut out and then assembled. And that drawer pull piece was off by about half an inch. It was It was drilled right on the line, but it lines up off in the drawers. You could tell it was a mistake. They, uh, you know, didn't have another half sheet of plywood or whatever this thing was built out of. So anyway, I decided that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't leave this poor little guy laying on the side of the road. So I hoisted it up as rickety and and uh, falling apart as it was. The drawers and at extreme risk to life and limb, I hoisted it onto the handlebars of my bike and and rode home with it. So I don't know, I'm going to fix it up. You know, those of you who follow me on uh, on Instagram maybe have noticed that I've been making these little cabinets that I've been setting into the, into the uh, wall in my shop. You know, I, I make them in the way that I make them, not like this little cabinet. I mean, they're, you know, they're put together with dovetails, hand-cut hand joints, but they're painted... And I've been using these uh, guitar tuners uh, as the knobs on them. You know, I took these off of some guitar that I fixed for somebody, replaced the tuners. I've got different styles, but the two cabinets that are the same that I've painted black have uh, three on a plate tuners, you know, the old style tuners that run old guitars, you know, and they are worn out. They're junk on most old guitars and then make replacements for them so these tuners were worthless as uh as tuners but pretty cool as handles i like i like it i like to use you know old stuff again and uh, i like that old stuff to show my personality it's cool to have these things that are worthless as tuners um and would be otherwise you know you throw them away but they get to serve another purpose in another place that actually kind of shows my 
I don't know, design, philosophy, and aesthetic, if that's not a, you know, too fancy a term for it. You know, like in anything I do, I have my heroes. Uh, and in woodworking, one of my biggest is a guy named James Krenov. He's kind of a interesting character. He started a really great woodworking program over on the coast, not too far from here. And his style has had a profound influence on a lot of craftsmen around here. I, I'm more interested in his kind of philosophy than his style in a way. But one of the things that he uh, was known for, he grew up in a in a remote village in Alaska. He had a really interesting history. He was born in Russia. He moved to China, settled in Alaska. This was all when he was a small child in, in the 1920s and early 1930s. Um, but he... He said uh, of his time in Alaska that from the time I was six, I was making my own toys with a jackknife. He, he found a jackknife in a uh, in some of the supplies that they dropped off in his remote village. And uh, he continued to carve drawer pulls and knobs with a, with a knife. Um, and that became a really important part of his style. And so those sort of handmade little details um, were in some ways definitive of his style. So, so you know, the machined uniformity of my guitar tuners has nothing to do with Krinov in style, but it uh, has a lot to do with him in philosophy, which is to say, you know, that you should leave your mark on the, on the work. But anyway, you know, I'm, I'm getting my shop organized. I really have no room for this little cabinet I brought home. And obviously, it's something that I could, you know, I could make something a lot better for 20 bucks in 20 minutes. I mean, I'll obviously spend more time restoring this very imperfect cabinet <laughs> than it would take me to make one less imperfect and uh you know i have to find a spot for this to 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 live whereas i could build something for a spot if i made something and yet you know i i seem to want to have this thing around i like to have old things around you know i like to have things that bear the marks of other people's lives and other people's works i guess that's what also is with the you know reusing the tuners on the cabinet the cabinet doors because you know they they show uh, some continuity with some other life i used to think that my interest in in secondhand stuff and reusing stuff had to do with economics you know i'd buy these old planes a lot of my tools are are uh you know very old and secondhand I'm like, well they're cheaper and they're higher quality and after i put a lot of labor into them they'll be better and that's true that's still probably true and I guess maybe when I started doing that, I really didn't have $200 to spend on a new high-quality plane. So buying one for $20 and putting 20 hours into it was more reasonable for me. Um, but I don't know if that's what's behind it anymore, to tell you the truth, because I still prefer that stuff, you know, over something that's new. I, I think really, like, you know, I've got a, a number six Bailey plane, if you know that is. It's a, if you know what a hand plane is, uh, it's a long one, I guess, but... You know, it's a good plane. Uh, it has nice weight, nice mass. It 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 uh, you know is easy to get tuned up and sharp. But I think what I really love about it, at the end of the day, is that uh, 
it's got some initials stamped in it. It says DCD, and I have no idea who DCD is. It's interesting because it's stamped twice, and one of them it looks like OCO, and you could tell that the that the stamp wasn't leaned quite far enough to the left and didn't quite uh, make a definitive strike line with the with the you know vertical line of the D. So I also like the imperfection of it. I like the second chance um, in striking the initials and uh, the second chance it got in my shop and in my life. I just, you know, I, I'm comforted by having things around that bear the, um, you know, the imprint that have the residue of a former life um, on them. I've got a bunch of that sort of thing, uh, you know, in and around my old house here. These old houses in my neighborhood weren't even built here. They were built up in Lake Shasta and moved here uh, and used by the military during the war. But uh, after, right after the war, in like 1945, the couple who lived here before me bought the house. And they lived here until they, you know, moved to homes. And their kids sold me the house. So really, the house had only had one family in it. And it has the marks of them all over the place. There was this in-sync sticker. I don't know if any of you remember this band, it was, I don't remember when it was from, it was a boy, like a boy band. It was from the eighties or nineties. I don't even know, but, uh, you know, it was, it was known as, as the most manufactured of the manufactured boy bands. And I, it always was fascinating to me. Like, why do they have this sticker on their door? You know, did a grandchild put it there? Did they think it was funny? Were they, super into the band when they were middle-aged you know, people. I don't, I don't know. I have no, I have no way of knowing, but it speaks to something about the way they lived. And that door was a pain in the butt. It was a hassle literally every time I went in or out that door. And it was in my way when I was standing at my workbench. And, you know, finally I built a nice sliding door. It only cost me a couple hundred bucks. It's beautiful. It's much more secure. But really the only reason I didn't do that sooner is because I didn't want to get rid of the sync sticker and erase those people. I also, the day we moved in, swung that door open like you do a closet door in a house. You see this in old houses and I marked my height on there and I marked my kid's height on there. I'm like, dad, six feet, kid, four feet, you know, or whatever it was. And, uh, and I marked her height on there as she grew. I couldn't part with that. I, I, I did get rid of the sync sticker. I got to confess to you people. I, that's not something I want to take to my grave. So I'm here to tell you I did it. But uh, I did rip the edge of that door off and mount it on the wall in the shop. I've got all kinds of, of uh, it's like a museum of, of previous things that I had. I used to, my hot rod, I used to have a, a, use old doorknobs as a gear shift. And I've got a couple of them around that I've used. And they're out there in the shop. I, I like seeing the imprint of other people's lives. There's a publisher that, I, that I'm interested in and a press. It's called the Lost Art Press. And the guy's name is Christopher Schwartz. He's a really cool guy. He's a woodworker. He's often on Roy Underhill's uh, TV show, The Woodwright Shop. If you've ever seen that, it's a legendary woodworking show that's been on PBS for uh, almost 40 years now. 
And uh, he and Christopher Schwartz, um, Roy Underhill as a TV personality and Christopher Schwartz as a as a publisher are interested in preserving lost arts. They're in, they're interested in preserving the way other people used to work and showing how uh, the marks of that work are visible in the old work and uh, reproducible in the new work and how when you honor the way people used to work, you honor their individual lives and their personalities. And so, uh, you know, in, a, in an age of conformity, textbook conformity, things move towards uh, single techniques and everyone approaches the work in the same way and the work is difficult to, uh, you know, the work of one person is difficult to individuate from the work of another person. And, uh, and anyway, they're both sort of together in, in, trying to, uh, in trying to encourage craftspeople to be unique, I guess. But one of the, the great books that, that Chris Schwartz has published is, James, is a biography of James Krenov. And, and there wasn't much known about him, and he's had such a, a, an eccentric life. I mean, as I said, he was born in... In Russia, he moved to China, he moved to Alaska, he moved to uh, to Scandinavia, where he went to a woodworking school. Um, you know, before eventually settling in Northern California, out here, out here near me. Um, but anyway, uh, the biography is called "Leave Fingerprints," which is really, which is really sort of uh, appropriate, I guess, apropos to the situation. Uh, because Krinov was famous for saying, the understanding eye sees the maker's fingerprints. They are evident in every detail. And I think he uh, is sort of uh, acting as, uh, I don't know, writer and critic here at the same time. I mean, I think he's encouraging uh, someone who appreciates craftsmanship to develop the sensitivity of eye and the understanding to see those small details. Um, and he's also, I think, encouraging the craftsman to, the craftsperson to leave those details and to not be so obsessed with uh, burnishing them out of existence. You know, when you think about guitars, I mean, you know, my guitars are obviously imperfect, um, but that's something that... Uh, that I appreciate about them, and I hope other people appreciate them about them too. I mean, if you want a CNC machined, perfect, all the same uh, guitar, go to Guitar Center and get one. But if you buy an instrument that's uh, hand built by an individual craftsman, you should appreciate and look for the fingerprints of that craftsman in that instrument, or or any other thing. That's um, just a an example that's close to home for me. I know it's kind of a cliche to go there, but it's like the 130th sonnet. Do you know that Shakespeare sonnet, My Eyes Are Nothing Like the Sun? Had to recite it one time for school. And uh, I still remember it. My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires... Black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses damasked red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. 
and in some perfumes there is more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground, and yet by heaven I think my love is rare as any she belied with false compare. It's interesting what's exposed here is not the imperfection of the mistress, but rather the, um, I don't know, overly burnished perfection of the point of comparison. And not to go too English professor on this, but the enjambment of that rhyme, coral is far more red than her lips red. The clunky imperfection of that redoubles the message at a structural level in a way that's brilliant. And where the mistress um, will always hold an advantage over, you know, the sun or uh, snow or coral or roses or perfume is that she, he, she, it, they, I'm not sure, is human. It's the compelling humanity of the thing that matters most. So, you know, when I see a, a 50-year-old shop project laying on the side of the road and I feel like I need to, to pick it up and fix it, it's, I guess, because it, I see the humanity in it. I empathize with it. I see those uh, holes drilled off center and I know the kind of disappointment that probably a young person in a high school class felt of getting those off center and having to move ahead despite the crushing blow of the mistake or that they were drilled too hard and they blew out the backside but there was no more material. I, I think what's interesting to me, you know, like Krenov talks about the understanding eye. Like you gotta you gotta study the way he organizes the grain on a piece of his, uh, on one of his, uh, you know, pieces of furniture or a shelf or a cabinet to really understand how beautiful it is. You have to refine that sensibility. But what's interesting to me is that the fingerprints of a, I don't know, I don't really want to say poor craftsman, but an emerging craftsman, <laughs> are in a way more evident and so is the humanity and the humanity of the of the person who made this little cabinet is more available to me than the humanity of someone who makes a $20,000 archtop guitar that I see at a guitar show. And uh, because of that, maybe I'm more eager to join in the project of honoring that um, and, and adding my fingerprints to the fingerprints that are already there in Krenov's terms. And if I do that, that makes us some kind of a family. <laughs> I don't know. I know this sounds ridiculous. I, I know that when I, I know that when I stare, you know, at a piece of grain and read it and match it and spend all this time, that that's something that is at some level ridiculous, that that's some of this level of, of, uh, of intellectualizing what I'm doing is is beyond what anyone would ever uh, you know be able to read or appreciate in it and yet 
uh, how human, how thoughtful, and how intentional all of that is, is what keeps me wanting to do it. And what's behind that is that when I interact with stuff that people have made or with people who make stuff, uh, in my mind, we're friends at some level, you know. Uh, and if you're leaving your fingerprints behind and I can see them, then leaving that cabinet on the side of the road, and this might seem crazy to you, uh, <laughs> but to me, that's turning your back on a friend. <laughs> 